It may be observed, however, as a general remark, that republics can commit no greater error than to adopt or continue any feature in their systems of government which may be calculated to create or increase the lever of power in the bosoms of those whom necessity obliges them to commit the management of their affairs. And surely nothing is more likely to produce such a state of mind than the long continuance of an office of high trust. Nothing can be more corrupting, nothing more destructive of all those noble feelings which belong to the character of a devoted Republican patriot. When this corrupting passion once takes possession of the human mind, like the love of gold, it becomes insatiable. It is the never-dying worm in his bosom, grows with his growth, and strengthens with the declining years of its victim. If this is true, it is the part of wisdom for a republic to limit the service of that officer, at least to whom she has entrusted the management of her foreign relations, the execution of her laws, and the command of her armies and navies to a period so short as to prevent his forgetting that he is the accountable agent, not the principal, the servant, not the master. Until an amendment of the Constitution can be effected, public opinion may secure the desired object. I give my aid to it by renewing the pledge heretofore given that under no circumstances will I consent to serve a second term. William Henry Harrison, March 4, 1841. Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia, and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. Hey everyone, welcome back. That long introductory quote was part of the over 8,000-word, two-hour marathon inaugural address by the shortest-serving president in United States history, William Henry Harrison. A soldier and planter falsely portrayed as a man of the people, Harrison's election in 1840 was the first presidential win of the Whig Party. Harrison is probably known by most due to the circumstances of his death. The story goes that Harrison, determined to be seen as a strong and sturdy commander-in-chief, stood in the falling D.C. rain without a top hat or overcoat while giving his address. This decision, it is said, caused him to catch pneumonia and die just a short four weeks into his tenure of office. However, the story isn't exactly accurate and is an often repeated myth. So... Just who was William Henry Harrison, and what really caused his death? Grab your cup of coffee, peeps. Let's do this. Given his significantly truncated time in office, this episode will focus more on the man more than the administration, since, well, he didn't really have one. William Henry Harrison was born on February 9, 1773, to a wealthy family in Virginia. He came from very prominent stock 
his father Benjamin, even signed the Declaration of Independence. The youngest of seven children, Harrison had no hope of inheriting the family assets, and therefore needed a robust education and a career. Like a proper Southern gentleman, he attended school, initially focused on the classics and history, before moving to studying medicine, likely at his father's behest. He studied with the well-respected Dr. Benjamin Rush, the same man who signed the Declaration of Independence, and has made a previous appearance in the podcast for his opposition to the death penalty. Medicine was not a passion of Harrison's, and so, when his father died, leaving him without the means needed to continue his education, Harrison made the decision to pursue an alternative career that would come to define his life and propel him into the upper echelons of politics, the military. Starting at the lowest rank, Harrison took to the structure of the army and promoted quickly. His career benefited from his tenure serving General Mad Anthony Wayne and his quote-unquote valiant service at the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Harrison was given command of Fort Washington, where he met his soon-to-be wife, Anna Sims. Unfortunately, a military man is not what Sims's father had in mind for his daughter, and it appears as though he was less than supportive of the courtship. However, the two were smitten with each other and eloped when Anna's father was out of town. Upon learning of his daughter's unsanctioned marriage, Judge John Cleve Sims challenged Harrison to explain just how he was going to support his daughter. Harrison's answer? His sword. Just how he was planning on doing this, however, remained to be determined, as Harrison resigned his post in the military at the rank of captain in 1798, just a few years after their marriage. However, Harrison took advantage of the connections provided by his new family. Though he may have disagreed with his daughter's choice in a spouse, Harrison's father-in-law nevertheless utilized his political connections to secure him the post of Secretary of the Northwest Territory. When the territory was split into Ohio and Indiana under President Adams, Harrison was named Governor of Indiana, a position he kept for 12 years. While governor of the territory, Harrison made several improvements such as roads and property acquisitions through questionable land deals with the surrounding indigenous population. Between 1802 and 1805, Harrison managed to push through a total of seven treaties. Again, these were often secured under suspicious circumstances, such as securing treaty signatures after getting his counterparts a little intoxicated. Despite the conditions under which the land was secured, Harrison was seen largely as successful, securing nearly 51 million acres of land for pennies on the dollar. These questionable tactics led to a conflict with the surrounding indigenous tribes. If you've been a long-time listener of the pod, then you'll likely remember when I covered the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, where I briefly discussed the role of influential indigenous warrior Tecumseh. While I only touched on the Shawnee leader, my good friend and podcast aficionado, Jerry, over at the Presidencies of the United States, did a wonderfully deep dive on both Tecumseh and his brother, known as the Prophet, a few months back. Look for episode 4.12, The Two Shawnee Brothers, to learn more. Jerry also expertly covers the indigenous relationships with Harrison, who was vying to maintain control of the Indiana Territory. But to provide a little bit of context here, Tecumseh challenged Harrison's claim of authority and strength by resisting the terms of the various treaties signed by tribal leaders. 
This resistance led Harrison to re-enter military service and take command of a force of a thousand strong, who ended up destroying the village known as Prophetstown when Tecumseh's brother, Tenskotawa, attempted to ambush Harrison's militia in a pre-dawn raid in November 1811. This battle, which is known in the history books as the Battle at Tippecanoe, helped secure the reputation of a strong military leader for Harrison, who resigned his post immediately after the conflict. While serving well for Harrison's future political aspirations, the battle only further frayed the often fraught relations between the United States and the native population. Harrison's path to the presidency was quite long as he slowly but surely inched his way towards the White House. He served as Ohio's representative in the House from 1816 to 1819, where he tried to secure other posts, such as Secretary of War. Upon his election in 1824 to the United States Senate, he immediately requested his friend and colleague, Henry Clay, secure him an appointment as the ambassador to Columbia. He was successful and quickly appointed to the post, requiring his resignation from the Senate. However, it turned out diplomacy wasn't Harrison's strong suit, and he was recalled just months after his appointment by President Andrew Jackson. Upon his return to the United States, Harrison spent several years in political obscurity before his name was thrown to the ring as a potential contender against Martin Van Buren in the 1836 presidential race under the newly formed Whig Party. Established in 1834, the Whigs were led by Henry Clay and were established as a response to Andrew Jackson's Democrats. They were able to attract a broad coalition initially as they were in support of the Second Bank of the United States, higher tariffs, and passing supportive legislation during financial panics that hit the country in 1837 and 1839. While they didn't quite make it in 1836, they threw enough candidates into the ring in that contest, including Harrison, to narrow down their pool for the 1840 election. Harrison's original selection in 1836 was due to his military service, which the Whigs hoped would be enough to blunt Jackson's successor, Van Buren. However, they hedged their bets, and Harrison was just one of three candidates from the same party. Despite the inclusion of other candidates, Harrison performed surprisingly well, winning nine out of the 26 states in the Union. So when it came time to pick the candidate for 1840, Harrison was the clear winner. While perhaps not as historic as, say, the election of 1800, or as dramatic as the election of 1824, the contest between Harrison and Van Buren was significant in its own important way. For the first time in American politics, candidates were mass-marketed to the voting public. As the Democrats tried to smear Harrison by claiming he would simply sit in his log cabin, Whig supporters worked overtime to turn the criticism on its head. They turned Harrison into the, quote, log cabin and hard cider, end quote, candidate, and trotted out a nickname that would soon be known to history textbooks everywhere, Tippecanoe. The phrase Tippecanoe in Tyler II marked the first official campaign slogan and marked the first time a candidate for the presidency was given broad commercial appeal. In the earliest versions of public relations managers, Harrison was portrayed as a war hero and a man of the people, contrasting him to the aristocratic tendencies of the incumbent Van Buren. That campaign focused on emotions, with little bottles of whiskey in the shape of log cabins being dispersed, more so than any substantive policy. 
The marketing campaign worked, and Harrison won 19 states to Van Buren's 7. Victory in hand, Harrison made his way to the Capitol to be sworn in as the ninth president of the United States. And that brings us to the often-repeated story that Harrison, without an overcoat, caught himself the death, literally, by giving his marathon inauguration speech in the cold, rainy D.C. spring. There are a few issues with this story, according to some historians. First, there is a debate as to whether or not it was even raining the day he gave his inauguration. Also, records indicate Harrison did not report feeling sick until nearly three weeks after his inaugural speech and went back and forth between feeling okay and being on the brink. And his reported symptoms do not seem to match that of pneumonia. Harrison consistently complained of pains in his side and, towards the end, diarrhea. Given these factors, some historians believe Harrison died from bad water in the White House. But something to keep in mind is that the field of medicine wasn't exactly robust. Doctors still thought treatments like bleeding were effective, and Harrison was prescribed things like castor oil, a purgative, and applied heated cups to his skin to supposedly induce better blood flow. None of these treatments proved effective, and Harrison took his last breath half past midnight on April 4th, 1841. His administration remains, as of this recording in 2022, the shortest in American history. So what legacy or impact could a president who served such a short tenure possibly leave behind? For his administration, very little, aside from him being the first commander-in-chief to die in office. However, the campaign to secure his victory forever altered future political campaigns, as advisors now frequently tailor a candidate's image to however they think will play best to the voting public. And though his tenure in office was but a blip on the radar, Harrison inaugurated the first of four Whig Party presidents before the party collapsed in the 1850s. As for the man, Harrison's time overseeing the Northwestern Territory and his embittered relations with the surrounding indigenous population ensured his place in the history books long before his election ever did. Before I sign off today, I want to give a huge, huge heartfelt thank you to Joanne and Emma for their recent donations through Buy Me a Coffee. I am so thankful for your support and kind words. And if you've been enjoying the show, please consider a rate and review. Your five-star reviews help spread the word and, of course, always make me smile. Thanks, peeps. I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Mm